I will not forgive them. You ever said that before? I cannot forgive them for what they've done. My name is Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here at Great Oaks Community Church, and I want to talk to you today about forgiveness. My main point is going to be that these two statements can't exist in the heart of a believer of Jesus Christ or a believer in Jesus Christ. We are in a series called Family Matters, uh, and the idea of this series is very simple. It's just that family is important. It should be our priority under our relationship with Jesus Christ. It should be our priority, and yet it's also very, very difficult. Difficult to do family in a God-honoring way. Oftentimes, our greatest hurt and our greatest joy is both wrapped up in our families, right? And so we've been talking about these five different family matters. How, how, do, we, how do we live our lives in a way that, that family is where it should be and, and where we can end our lives um, proud of what God has done in our family. So none of us wants to wake up or, or look back when we're 80 years old at the wreck of our family, the mess that is our family, and go, did I do that? Right? None of us want to do that. Instead, we want to look up when we're 80 and look back on our family and see them serving Jesus, see a legacy of Christ followers in our wake and say, wow, God did this. God did this. So we've talked through four family matters so far, faith, honor, commitment. Last week we talked about time. If you've missed any of those, make sure you grab them on iTunes or on our website so that you can catch up. Today I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Next week we're going to jump into a series called God Help Me uh, that I'm really excited about. Uh, it's just, the, the idea is just that wherever you're at, wherever you're in your life, struggling or not, but you got to a point where you said you were desperate enough to say, God, help me. Has anybody ever said that before? God, help me and meant it? Well, what I believe is that when you, you are desperate for God to help you, he does help you. He shows up. We serve a God that is not far off, but he is near. I already wrote that message. I'm about to preach it. I'm not going to preach it today, okay? I'm not going to preach it. Bring, it, bring your people next week, bring your family, your neighbors, get them here. I believe that God is going to do some miracles in our midst because we serve a miracle-working God. So God help me, that starts next week. God help me as I preach, God help me. Today, we're going to talk through the fifth and final family matter, uh, which is forgiveness and I want to do this a little differently today. We're going to jump around in the scriptures a little bit. But if you have your Bible or you're following along on the YouVersion Bible app, you can head over to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll get there eventually. I'm going to do this a little differently. I'm going to actually preach three mini-sermons on forgiveness. So how much time do you have? Yeah, I'm just kidding. I, but I am going to preach three mini-sermons. I'm going to give you three texts of scripture. I'm going to talk to you about three truths, and I'm going to tell you three stories. So three texts, three truths, three tales, and really what I'm forming here and hoping to form are three kind of wells for you to run to when you're trying to forgive. Because I don't think any of us is going, oh, we're supposed to forgive, right? Like none of you are like, oh, we, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Everybody knows we're supposed to forgive, and yet it's out of control, difficult at times to pull it off. And so how do we actually Forgive. These are three wells to run to when you're desiring to forgive but struggling to do so. That's what we're going to talk about today. So three texts, 
three truths, three tales. Here we go. Let's jump into it. Mini sermon number one. Real hurt, real betrayal, real wrongdoing. How do I forget? How can I possibly forgive my dad for what he did to me? How can I possibly forgive my wife for what she said? How can I forgive my son or my daughter for what they did? Here's where your mind and your heart should run. The first well that you should draw from. The texts are Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then we'll jump right to Colossians 3, verse 13, which says, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You also must forgive. So forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's the command in these scriptures. That's what this is saying. Now here's the truth I want you to think about when you're trying to forgive but struggling to do so. Here's the truth. Forgive because God forgave you. Forgive because God forgave you. Text, truth, tale. Let me tell you a story. Imagine you're a teenager living in in a kingdom ruled by a king. And this king is good. He's benevolent. He's just. He's kind. He's gracious. In fact, your dad works for this king. And the king has always been good to your dad. He's always given him time off, benefits, raises, respect, all of that. Over your lifetime, you've seen the king really care for you and your family. So you're a teenager living in a kingdom ruled by a good and gracious king, and your dad works for this king. But one night, your dad was working late, and you were off with friends, and so your mom was home alone. And an evil man broke into your house to rob your father, and for reasons unknown, he killed your mother. And you were filled with such despair and sadness And that despair and that sadness turned to bitterness and hate as you began to blame your father for the death of your mother. You you were just overwhelmed with this bitterness towards him. You, You said things like, I cannot forgive you for what you did to our family. I will not let this go. If you would have just been home, my mom would still be alive. And... This bitterness and this hatred just began to grow and grow and grow in your heart until it didn't, you didn't turn it just towards your dad. It began to turn towards the king himself. After all, he was the one who kept your dad working that night. Had he not done that, your mom would still be alive. So you began to hate the king and his rule. Early on, this manifested in just attitudes and thoughts. You thought rebellious thoughts. You had a rebellious attitude towards the king. But at some point, it went from inside to outside, and you started to take action. Small things at first. Theft, vandalism of the king's property, things like that. Until your heart burned with so much hatred towards the king, you blamed him for your mom's death, and you hated him that you decided you had to do something big. You had to get back at him. So you made a plan. A plan to kill the king, to to get vengeance for your mom. A plan to kill the king. And you decided 
what you would do is you would poison the whole palace full of people and with it the king himself and So you got some architectural plans of the palace, not that difficult given your dad's position in the king's rule, and you found a ventilation room, and you decided what you would do is you would just, all you had to do was pour the poison down the ventilation shaft, and it would turn to gas, and it would spread across the whole palace, killing everyone inside. You had this plan, and and you even had an escape plan. You would have a mask, and after you poured the poison in, you would put the mask on and you would escape. This was your plan. Imagine the night came for you to execute it and the king. And so you snuck to the palace and you gained entry through service entrances and and employee entrances, doors you had used many times before. You knew the palace well because the king had invited your family over for dinner countless times over your life. Imagine that as you headed towards the ventilation room where you would deliver the poison, the king saw you from a distance from down the hall, but you focused on your mission of hatred. You didn't see him. But the king followed you to, to talk to you, to check in with you, to see how you were doing, and, and he saw you enter the ventilation room, and so he went in with you right behind you, and he opened the door just in time to see you pour the last bit of poison into the ventilation shaft and put your mask on. Imagine you turn towards the door. You see the king. He sees you, and now you're not going to be able to sneak out of the palace, so you decide in your hatred for the king, I'm just going to run past him, push him out of the way, and head out so he'll die from this poison. But imagine as you move to do that, you trip, you fall, Your mask comes off your face and slides across the floor. Poison is now filling up the room itself. Your lungs begin to burn. Your eyes begin to water. You start coughing. The king sees all of this. And immediately he rushes over to the mask, picks it up, and stumbling now, coughing now, he comes to you and he puts the mask on your face. You hungrily breathe in filtered air, And your eyes stop watering just in time to see the king slump over in death. The person you hate, the king who you hated enough to kill, you came to kill, he just saved your life. And it cost him his own. Now remember, this story began with you blaming your dad for the death of your mom being unwilling to forgive him. So my question is, as you look at the king, who's now dead, just gave his life for yours, even though you hated him, as you look at the king, how do you feel about your dad? How do you feel about forgiving him, whether he deserves it or not? You see, When you're looking at the king, your hatred dissipates and it's replaced with two very real feelings, right? One is shame, shame for what you've done, the wrong you just committed, how wrong you were. And the other is gratitude, gratitude for the king because you get to live even though he doesn't. When I'm faced with the magnitude of my sin, how horrible it is, how wicked I am, the shame of it all. 
when I'm faced with that and then I'm drawn into worship of, of God because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, how he sacrificed his life for me despite my wickedness and despite my sin, when I'm drawn into worship of a king who loves me despite my sin. I can't do it. Both can't exist at the same time. I can't, I can't burn with vengeance, bitterness, unforgiveness, hate, and celebrate my forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I can't do both at the same time. Because God has forgiven me of so much, and I've got this unbelievable feeling of gratitude towards Jesus who gave his life for me. It just doesn't fit. I can't do both of those things at the same time. So if your desire is to forgive, but you're struggling to actually do it, run to this well. Run to the everlasting well of God's forgiveness towards you. Forgive because God forgave Let's pray at all of our campuses, Washington, online, Germantown. Pray this with me. I'm going to have you repeat it after me, so get ready. Repeat this after me. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Help me dwell there. Help me reach for it as I seek to forgive others. Amen. All right, mini-sermon number two, text, truth, tale. How can I forgive my grandfather for what he did to me? How can I forgive my son, my daughter, my, my neighbor, my friend? You don't know what they did. How can I forgive my husband for that? Real hurt, real pain, real betrayal, real wrongdoing. Colossians 3, 23. Colossians 3 is about... Family, and it says this in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So whatever you do, do it for the Lord. And there is no unfairness in God. He cannot be bribed or or blackmailed or in any other way compromised. He is impartial all the time. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Beloved, it says, never avenge yourselves But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So those are the texts for this this well. Run to them. Run to these two verses of Scripture. You have been wronged. You have been betrayed. It's true. You want justice. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting justice for being betrayed, being hurt. There's nothing wrong with desiring justice. There's nothing sinful about wanting justice. Where it becomes sinful is when you decide you're going to make justice happen on your own. You're in charge of justice and you'll be bitter until justice is served. That's sinful. You tracking with me? That's, that's sinful. So here's the truth I want you to run to with this one. Forgive because God is the just judge. Forgive because God 
is the just judge. Vengeance is his and his alone. Don't try to carry that weight. You can't do it and you don't have the right to do it. God is the only just judge. Text, truth, tale. Imagine someone hurt you in a horrible way. Imagine someone killed your beloved. Imagine someone poisoned the one you love. But they got away with it. They didn't go to jail. They didn't serve time. They were not executed for murder or in any other way punished. They got away with it. They disappeared. And you tried to let it go. You tried to move on. You tried to, with your family, they begged you to move on, just move on. But he had killed your beloved. And so for a couple years, you just burned with hate and bitterness and this feeling that something isn't right and, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger in you until you had to do something about it. If, if no one else was going to, to, to serve justice, then you would. You know, you were going to take care of this thing because if you didn't do it, no one would and he'd get off scot-free and you couldn't imagine that happening. And so you decided to search for this evil man who killed your beloved yourself. You had a sketch of him, and you knew what he looked like, and so you started by just canvassing people, talking with people, asking if anyone knew the evil man who had killed your beloved. In the beginning, it was hard. Nobody really knew him. You almost gave up. But then someone recognized him. You had a lead. And that lead led to another, that led to another, that led to another, that led to a dead end. Months of searching and not finding, wandering, not knowing where to go in your search and in your investigation. Imagine that this cycle repeated itself over and over and over and over for 10 long years. There were times when you had nothing to go on. You didn't know which way to turn. You had no leads. But then there were other times when you were hot on his, the evil man's pursuit. You were, you were on his heels, he, and he just barely slipped from your grasp. And that was followed by another dead end. But each time, you just doubled your efforts. You just got back to it. You just sacrificed more, gave more. Justice has to be served, you said. You were obsessed your family was nowhere near you at this time. They had all abandoned you. They didn't understand. They didn't get it. They should want justice for your beloved as much as you did, but they didn't. They had given up. And so you pressed on alone. Imagine that any, one of your hot pursuits of the evil man when you were close and he was just outside of your grasp and you, were, you felt so close to catching him. Imagine that you did. You caught the evil man. You were so surprised that you actually caught him that you almost let him go because you were so used to the cycle of getting close and then another dead end and then getting close and then another dead end. But in your hesitation, you almost let him go, but, but your hatred for the evil man brought back your laser focus. And you reached into your pocket and pulled out the vial that you've been carrying around for 10 plus years. The vial of poison, the same poison he used to kill your beloved. And you forced it down his throat. 
He died. You did it. Justice is served. You stepped back from him, expecting this flood of relief, a a final long exhale that never came. Now, that could be the end of an okay story, right? But if you're a Jesus follower who believes in a real heaven and a real hell, you know that's not actually the end of the story, is it? So, so imagine you left the man you had just killed and you got into your car and you drove away thinking your journey of justice is over and a bus hit you and you died instantly. There's no time lapse, no journey to the light. Just one instant you're driving and the next you find yourself in a courtroom. But it's unlike any courtroom you've ever seen. Everything is huge and ornate and beautiful. And you're just in a trance, just looking around at the beauty, mouth wide open. You notice the judge sitting in the middle of the courtroom, high and lifted up, so high that you can't make out his features. And as you continue in your your trance, scanning the room, you realize that you're not standing alone. That in fact, there's someone standing next to you. You look, and it's, it's the evil man that you just served justice to, the one you had just killed. Immediately, hate, that familiar hate wells up in your heart. How, how, could, how could he, a man like this, be in a place like this? You almost attack him again. But just before you give in to that impulse to attack him, a gavel, the sound of a gavel, draws your attention to the judge. And immediately, you're hit with these overwhelming feelings of shame and guilt and regret. It's like someone hit play on the screen of your mind, and it's not playing a movie you want to see. It's showing you every mistake you've ever made, how you gave into your hatred, how you chose this journey of justice over your family, how you sinned against the righteous judge for no reason at all, and you're just over come with regret and shame and guilt and you do the only thing that you can do you crumble to the floor and you just weep over your sin as you do that you notice the evil man next to you in the same posture he's weeping he's experiencing the same thing you're experiencing and your view widens and there's hundreds if not thousands of people all on their knees weeping with this great sense of regret and shame and guilt and just, just when you think it can't end or, or you think you can't get through this, you're thinking, I deserve the worst kind of judgment. I deserve the worst. Just when you think you can't handle it even a moment longer, it stops. Like someone turned off a faucet. And all of you lift your head, your heads to the judge And you hear him say, justice is served. You deserve hell. My son Jesus paid the price. Did you follow him? Justice is served. Beloved, vengeance is the Lord's and the Lord's alone. 
Don't, don't waste your life trying to bear the awful weight of being punisher, judge, avenger. You can't change anything anyways. You can trust that justice will be done. That punishment will happen. It'll happen in hell or it will have happened on the cross. Sinners will, will bear it or Jesus Christ will bear it. But you and I, we cannot improve upon the justice of the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Forgive, because God is the just judge. When you're trying to forgive, struggling to do that, run to this well. You can trust that justice will be served. Let's pray together. Repeat um, this prayer after me. God, we praise you for your justice. You are the only just judge. To run after vengeance is pointless. Help us not waste our lives on payback. Amen. Mini sermon number three, well number three, text, truth, tale. Let's go. How can I, how can I forgive my ex-wife? How can I forgive my ex-husband? You don't know what they did to me. How can I forgive my brother or my son? You don't know what they did. Real hurt, real pain, real betrayal. Run when you're trying to forgive. Run to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. This is such a sobering and serious passage. He just said, don't fail to obtain, grab onto, appropriate the grace of God. Well, how would I fail to obtain that? By allowing a root of bitterness to be in your heart and in your soul that will hurt you and end up hurting many. Don't allow a root of bitterness to be in your heart. Have you, have you ever just despised someone? Don't look at them. But have you ever just despised, like they hurt you, they did something to you, maybe it was years ago, maybe it was decades ago, maybe it was last week, but you just despise them. And maybe it's just that they're obnoxious and you despise them, but when you hear their name, you just kind of cringe and that, that hate and that bitterness just wells up in your soul in your heart, in your mind. And then they walk up, right? You see them and you're seething with this hate and this bitterness and they, they see you and they say something like, hey, how's it going? How's the family? Hey, we're going to the game this Friday. You want to go? And although you are overwhelmed with bitterness and hate, seething, how much has it hurt them? Not at all, right? It doesn't hurt them at all. 
when you're trying to forgive, run here. Run to this well. Forgive because bitterness hurts. Bitterness hurts you and it hurts the ones you love most. Forgive because bitterness hurts. Text, truth, tale. Imagine you had a cough that wouldn't go away. So you went to the doctor. You thought he'd give you some antibiotics and send you home, something small like that. But as he listened to your chest and listened to your heartbeat and your lungs, he looked in your throat, his, his expression of concern told you a different story. He, he ordered some tests that, that were followed by other tests and more tests until finally he told you that you have a disease that, that won't go away. It's going to progress slowly and it's going to kill you. There's no cure. And you are just hit with that reeling because you've just been punched into, in the gut and trying to catch your breath. And he says something like, well, there, there is a medicine that you can take. And you look at him and you go, I'll take whatever. I'll do it. I'll take the medicine. If it's going to help me not die, I'll take the medicine. And he says, well, the medicine is not a cure. It just staves off the the progression of the disease. It slows it down enough. It may give you years, though, years of your life that you wouldn't have otherwise. And like a drowning man reaching for a life preserver, you you grab onto it with everything you're worth. You go, okay, I'll take the medicine. If it's going to add years to my life, sure, I'll take it, whatever. Let's let's do this. And, And the doctor says, but you have to take it every single day. You can't skip a day. Because the disease is your enemy, and it will kill you quickly, and the medicine is the only thing that's going to slow it down. You have to take this medicine every single day without fail. You agree. How could you not? You get the medicine, you thank the doctor, you leave, and you begin drinking it every single day. You put it in your medicine cabinet and it's the first place you go every morning you go to the medicine you get the bottle and you drink the tiny bit that you're supposed to drink each day over time your cough worsens your lungs begin to burn here and there and you don't freak out you don't panic because you expected this to happen you just keep drinking the medicine knowing that it's slowing the disease and keeping you alive a couple of years pass and Things get a little bit worse. You, you develop this wheeze that just doesn't go away. You, you can still live your life. You just can't be really active because when you become active, when you exercise or something like that, every breath is a struggle. And, but you keep taking your medicine. It's what's going to defeat the enemy, your disease. So you take the medicine every single day, just like the doctor said. Checkup after checkup after checkup. The doctor says the same thing. Just take the medicine. The medicine is your only hope. Don't skip any days. Make sure you take this medicine. It's what's keeping you alive. Ten years pass, and things have gotten much worse. That wheeze is constant now. Your lungs burning is constant now. You can't take but a few steps without succumbing to a violent coughing fit. You're on oxygen now. You can't really leave your house anymore. But you figure you're on borrowed time anyways. The bottle of medicine is next to your bed now. You reach for it first thing in the morning. 
No longer hoping that it'll keep you alive for years. Now you're asking it to keep you alive for a week, maybe a day. And then you go to one of your checkups, somebody takes you there, and you go into the the exam room, and, and, and they tell you that your doctor isn't there that day. In fact, they say he moved to another clinic, he moved to another city, and so you'd be seeing a different doctor. So, so a different doctor comes in, and, and she talks to you, and she begins to examine you, and you tell her your story of this disease, your enemy that's been taking over your body and killing you, but this great medicine that the doctor gave you that, that slows the disease and has given you years uh, added to your life. And the doctor has this look of concern on her face as she listens to your lungs and listens to your heart. And that concern, that expression of concern deepens as she examines the bottle of medicine you give her. She orders some tests, followed by more tests, followed by more tests. And she gets up and she takes the bottle of medicine out of the room and The next time she comes in the room, her face is as white as a sheet and her hands are shaking. And she sits across from you and she says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you say, it's okay. I've accepted my fate. I know I'm going to die. I should have died a long time ago, but this medicine has kept me alive for so long. You don't have to be sorry. I've already accepted my disease that I'm going to die. Maybe the medicine can keep me alive a few more weeks. She goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. And she tells you the awful truth. You were never sick. Not in any real way, anyways. You probably had a sinus infection, a cold, something like that. But for reasons unknown, that other doctor has been poisoning you for years. Poisoning me? You say, how could he poison me? What poison? What are you talking about? He wasn't poisoning me. How could that be? And the doctor hands you the bottle of medicine back and says, this poison. You can't believe it. You won't believe it. That is not poison. That is medicine. That's the thing that's keeping me alive. My enemy is the disease. That medicine is the only thing that defeats the disease, that keeps my enemy at bay. That's not poison. But even as the words come out of your mouth, the look on the doctor's face causes the truth to sink in. You have been poisoning yourself, teaspoon by tiny teaspoon, for over a decade. What you thought was medicine, defeating your enemy, the disease, was actually poison, causing the disease. Beloved, bitterness is like that. We've been lied to. We've been told that bitterness is okay, that unforgiveness is okay, that it's okay to hang on to your anger. If they don't deserve your forgiveness, don't give it to them. We've been told that this is a righteous thing to be an avenger of justice, but, but it's not. We've been lied to. The only thing bitterness does is it hurts us and those we love most. We, we have been lied to. We've been drinking what we thought was medicine, but it was poison the whole time, 
drinking poison and expecting our enemies to die. The truth is this. When you're you're struggling to forgive, when you desire to forgive, but it's difficult, reach to this well, to this truth. The truth is that bitterness hurts, but it only hurts you and those you love most. It has no effect on your enemies. At all of our campuses, let's, let's pray this together. Repeat after me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help this truth sink deep in our hearts. Help us accept it. Bitterness only hurts us and those we love. Please remove any root of bitterness in our hearts. Amen. Okay. I said three mini-sermons, three truths, texts, tales. Those are done. Forgive because God forgave you. Forgive because God is the just judge. And forgive because bitterness hurts. Let me end, though, with this one overarching thought. I realize that not everybody at our camp at Germantown or in Washington or online tuning in is a Jesus follower. I understand that there are people listening, watching, joining that are not Jesus followers. I'm glad you're here. Listen to what I'm saying. Think about it this week. Decide for yourself if it's legit or not. But my last overarching point is really for Jesus followers. For those of you who would say, I'm a Christ follower. I'm trying to follow Jesus with my whole life. And so this, this point is really for you. And it's, it's in Matthew 6. And Jesus, just after giving us the Lord's Prayer, one of the most, um, the most recited passages of Scripture in history, he says in it to ask for forgiveness, but to ask for forgiveness as you forgive your enemies, right? And so this idea that I will not forgive them I cannot forgive them for what they've done. Jesus has something to say to Jesus' followers, to Christ's followers, about this idea. It's Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 14. He explains the Lord's Prayer in this way. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wait, wait a second. Jesus, do you mean that if we don't forgive? Like, what? Can you explain that? Sure, I'll explain. Next verse. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, that means that you have accepted a forgiveness in Jesus Christ. If you have a faith in Jesus Christ, that means you've accepted a forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The crux of the gospel is that you are sinful, beyond help on your own. You can't get to heaven. You can't pay the price. And yet God sent his son to die for you on the cross to pay the price to buy your salvation. He did that. And you, by putting your faith in Jesus, you accept the forgiveness of Jesus. Does that that make sense to everyone? And now we've got in Matthew chapter 6... Jesus saying an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. An unforgiving heart is an unforgiven 
heart. If you say you have a faith in Jesus, you've accepted a forgiveness in Jesus. Listen, beloved, if you find a heart that is faithful to Jesus Christ, you have found a heart that is faithful to forgive. Let me say that again. If you find a heart that is faithful to Jesus Christ, you have found a heart that is faithful to forgive. A Jesus follower is a people forgiver. You have to, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. Now, now I'm not saying this is easy. I would never say that forgiveness is easy. Real hurt, real betrayal, real wrongdoing. I understand real emotions. This thing is difficult, isn't it? I'm not saying it's easy. This is, this is a process of you laying this thing down at the cross, your bitterness, your hate, your unforgiveness, and, and then going out in the world thinking you're good to go, being triggered by something, a name, an, a circumstance, whatever it is, and finding that hate well up in your heart again, bitterness well up in your heart again, and then run back to Jesus and give it to him, lay it at his feet, think you're good to go. Maybe you are good to go for days weeks, maybe even years, but then you're triggered and that hate wells up again and you go back to Jesus and you go, Jesus, I don't want to burn for anybody else besides you. I don't want the burn of hate to be in my heart. I don't want the fire of bitterness and unforgiveness to rule me. Take it, Jesus. I don't want it because an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart and I want to be forgiven. And so you lay it at the feet of Jesus and you go back out into the world free and ready to forgive and then you're triggered again and you go back to Jesus because this whole thing is an exercise in dependence on God you're not supposed to be able to do this on your own it's not supposed to be quick You're supposed to be on your knees begging the Holy Spirit to give you the power to forgive this person, to let go of this bitterness. It's an exercise of dependence on God. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's necessary. I will not, I cannot forgive. If you're thinking that, Right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind these people that you've refused to forgive. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles, friends, sons or daughters. You're refusing to forgive them. I cannot, I will not. I'm saying that statement, if you're living that out, not an option. Not if you're a Jesus follower. Not if you believe what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 6. Beloved, so much family strife. The reasons families implode and, and fall apart is because of old bitterness and unforgiveness that hasn't been laid at the feet of Jesus. That's why so many families are falling apart. And so I want to encourage you today. Let it go today, right now. Forgive them. If they're in the room, forgive them before you leave the room. 
If not, make the call. If they're gone and out of your life or passed from this world, forgive in your heart and move on. If you need to ask for forgiveness, if you need to repent, if you need to apologize, take care of that. But it's been said that forgiveness is a one-way street. The idea of that is that it doesn't matter what the other person does. We still forgive. Are you tracking with me? You don't wait for an apology. You just forgive because Jesus didn't wait for you to apologize for your sin to die on the cross. He died on the cross despite your your sin and and the fact that you had no idea that he was doing that, that he loved you, who he was, what he was doing for you. He still died for you on the cross. And so forgiveness is a one-way street. And I I just want to invite you to forgive today, whatever it is, whatever it is. It's only going to hurt you to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. Let it go. Let's pray.